You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. When I lived in Wisconsin, I was a part of a peer-to-peer advisory group that was made up of Christian nonprofit leaders. And there were a few pastors in this group, and we would meet in Milwaukee once a month, and we would discuss each other's challenges within the organizations that we led. And then what we would do at the end is that we would come up with the one thing that each one of us were going to take away from that gathering and all the work that we had done. And we called it My One Thing. And then when we would have our meeting the next month, we would open up our meeting with the My One Thing from the previous month, and we were held accountable to what we had said we were going to do the previous month with all the work we had done, and we had to have at least tried something. Maybe it wasn't even successful, but hey, at least we tried, and here is how it went. And that's how we would open up every one of our meetings. And so I had this thought that I think that the message today is going to be one of those times where the Holy Spirit of God is going to be doing a lot of different things in different people. And so my hope and my aim and my goal for you would be that perhaps through the Spirit's leading that you would be able to walk away with your one thing that God is doing in your heart that you can take away and that you need to share that with someone else, maybe with your spouse, with a friend, um, with someone that you're in a small group with. Share that one thing with someone so that there can be accountability around it because we don't want to be a church full of people that just hear the word of God and don't actually put it into practice and do it. We want to be a church of hearers and doers, amen? Because in the Hebrew, the word hear is the same word as obey because to hear is to actually take in the information but to activate it and put it into practice. So I want us to be hearers in that sense and be obedient to what God has called us to do because when it comes to moving forward, as we've been talking about over these past four weeks, change is imminent. Change is this idea of an exchange. This exchange is a trade-off. It's giving something up to be able to do or embrace something new. And sometimes we choose that change and we can be proactive in our efforts to change. We can identify things in our life that we want to improve, things we want to better, and we can say, hey, I want to be better at this, so starting Monday or starting this afternoon, I'm going to begin to make these types of decisions. And they're going to be different decisions than what I made before, and I'm willing to trade these things off proactively in order that I can grow or achieve or do whatever it is that I'm aiming at and going for. But then sometimes change is thrust upon us. We are victims almost of things that happen around us and to us that force us to change. When someone gets elected uh, in a government position or maybe there's a new boss at the job or whatever the case may be, all of a sudden now change has been something that's happening to us rather than something that we chose and something that we were trying to pursue for our own end. And so either way, regardless of what type of change that you may experience, whether proactive or something that you have to react to, there's tension involved because it's changing what you've grown accustomed to. It's changing what you've grown comfortable with, what you have grown to accept as normal or whatever rhythm that you have been in in life. Now it's being disrupted, either by your choosing or by your not choosing. And you have to figure out how you're going to deal with the tension of that change because there's tension involved, there's conflict involved, and how we navigate that tension that comes with change is vital to our future. 
the choices that we make, the attitudes that we lead with, the way that we commit to adapting, those things are vital in the middle of that tension. It's easier to be comfortable with what we used to do. And it's tempting and sometimes easier to think, oh man, I just want to go back to the way things used to be before this crossroads in my life or before this event in my life or before these types of events happen. I mean, it would be so much easier to go backwards. And we're always looking for that sense of comfort. But Jesus doesn't call us to a place of comfort. He calls his disciples to obey And that causes tension in the middle of the changes that are required to follow Jesus. Let's go over to Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bible today. Luke chapter 9, there are a lot of people that we're going to read about here in this instance that were really excited about what was happening in the ministry of Jesus. Could you imagine that people are hearing about miracles, maybe some have even witnessed miracles, and they've heard this great teacher, Jesus is teaching them things, and it's clicking, man, it's making sense. All of a sudden, the things that Jesus was teaching, wow, I've never heard anyone talk like this before. This is so different than all the ways I was used to being taught before. There's so much life to what he says. And so because of this, Jesus is very popular at this point. People are gathering around Jesus, following Jesus, Being a part of following Jesus at this stage in his ministry was very exciting because, man, people were seeing all sorts of incredible things and hearing all of these incredible things. And it was an easy time to want to be on Jesus's team. It was an easy time, an exciting time to want to be onboarded with what Jesus was doing. And so there are a few people here, man, they got really excited about what was happening within the ministry of Jesus. And so let's look at Luke chapter 9. And verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Stop right there. Doesn't that sound encouraging if you're the leader, if you're the teacher, if you're Jesus? Someone comes to you and makes a bold declaration, a bold commitment. I'll follow you wherever you go. So he's saying, wherever you go, I'm in. I'm on your team. I want to be a part. Sign me up. I mean, the sign-up sheet for Jesus' ministry is a very popular thing at this moment, you know? This guy's bought in. He's excited about what's happening. He scanned the QR code on the screen, and he, he had to call the office in the beginning to get some help with the registration form. But once he figured out the online registration, it all made sense now. And he's registered. He signed up. And he signed up. He's like, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm signed up. And this is what Jesus says to that guy. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So here's what Jesus responds to the excited person who's wanting to sign up to follow Jesus. He's saying, yeah, um, I'll follow you wherever you go. So I'm homeless. I don't know where we're sleeping tonight. He's challenging the man's values at this point because what he's ultimately discerning and asking the man to discern who has said this is what's more valuable to you in this moment because you said wherever and where I'm going right now, 
there is no comfort involved. I mean, I don't know if this guy perhaps thought that because of Jesus' celebrity status that maybe he was staying in the nicest places, eating the nicest food, and he was surrounded by comfort because he was so popular. I don't know what his assumptions were, but Jesus was exposing this man's heart because Jesus knew the inner workings of his heart, and Jesus was pulling something out to call to this man's attention that he was saying, am I more valuable than your comfort? Am I more valuable than the security of you knowing where you're going to sleep tonight? Because there's animals that have more security about where they're going to be sleeping tonight than me. That's the risk of following me. That's the cost of following me is that, man, I I don't even have the same thing that a fox has or a bird has because I don't have anywhere to call home and lay my head. So are you willing to go with me? Am I still that valuable to you? Let's keep reading. To another, he said, follow me. So this one's different. Jesus actually points to this guy and he says, hey, you, come follow me. And so he's picking this guy out. And this guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And you have to understand here that what this guy's not asking is, he's not asking like what we do to go and attend a, a, a short funeral service because during this day and time, they would take, when it was a, a, an immediate family member, a mother, a father, they would take up to a year of mourning and they would go throughout this process to where they would do these different things ritualistically uh, that they would be in this time and this period of great mourning. And he's saying, Jesus, like I'm in this season of mourning over the loss of my father. And so let me go bury him. Let me go and go through my grieving process. And Jesus looks at this guy and he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow, this is a really strong statement of Jesus. And it makes me want to rather think about the picture of Jesus holding like the little lamb and like petting it, you know. (laughs) And it makes me want to think about the picture of Jesus having the small child sitting on his lap and them laughing together. I want to think about that Jesus, not let the dead go bury the dead Jesus, you know. Yet another said, verse 61, I'll follow you, Lord. And he has conditions. He says, but first let me go say farewell to those who are at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing in all three of these instances is that he's identifying and calling out what really matters to them. Like, where is your core value? What ultimately matters? And Jesus is asking the question and contrasting the thing that they value in the moment. Am I more valuable to you than this? Am I more valuable to you? Is being with me more valuable than this thing that you have either stated that you need or that I've ascertained that you desire and want or this thing that you said you want to go do first? Like, am I more valuable to you than these things? And so Jesus is exposing these things in these people's hearts, not to shame them, not to embarrass them, not to beat them up or make them feel bad. Jesus is exposing these things out of love because he's wanting to confront them with this idea of value and what really matters. Are you really willing to value me at this level? Because truly valuing Christ ultimately results in submission to Christ. If we truly value Christ, it's not this idea of submission that comes through this uh, idea of hearing a directive from Jesus and yes, sir, I'm in the Lord's army and I, and I just do it and I get in line. That's not the type of obedience that Christ is necessarily looking for. He's looking for not obedience just in deed. He's looking for obedience from the heart. 
He's trying to get to the core of the individual so that the obedience comes through true godly worship and submission, which comes from something that I want to do because I value Christ more than I value this other thing, more than I value my comfort. And so because it's value-driven, it's something deeper on the inside of me. It's not just simply adhering to the rules because I can adhere to the speed limit, but I don't want to. I just don't want to get a ticket. It's not in my heart. I'm not truly submitting to that number on that sign when I do it. I don't want to, but I'm gonna because I don't want the ticket, right? But that's not true submission. That's just adhering to a law or a rule. And Jesus can give us these different things that he puts in our pathway that he's requiring of us to do, and we can adhere to it. We can get in line, we can stand up straight and yes, sir, and do our thing, but is it coming from our heart? Because Jesus isn't just saying, hey, come follow me. Jesus is saying, come submit, come obey, come follow from the heart, from the deepest place. And I'm gonna help you to see that by showing you the thing you're valuing over me. And so now you have a choice to make in the middle of all of this. Are you truly going to submit? Because are we gonna trust? And that's really what true submission to Jesus is. It's trusting that what he is leading us to, even if it's undefined, even if there's no picture of what it's going to look like, if he just says, come follow me, or if he challenges us with something, and all of a sudden now we're supposed to follow Jesus, but we don't know exactly where that's going to lead or what it's going to look like or if it's even going to work out. In that moment, we have to decide, is what Jesus leading us into going to be better than whatever I may be holding on to now. And we always like to do this dance, every one of us. We, we do this dance, you do the dance, I do the dance. And it's this thing of when Jesus confronts us with something that he's exposing in our hearts that we've held in higher regard than him and he's asking us to let it go, we try to figure out a way to hold on to it and also follow Jesus. Like we kind of want both. We want to do this both thing. Like for instance, if we hear in the scripture and we read in the scripture about biblical forgiveness and how God doesn't want us to hold these grudges and wants us to walk in forgiveness and show grace, we go, yeah, but how about, how about Jesus, you still let me be right and let everyone know that I'm right and I'll forgive the person also. And we try to like do this dance thing and try to make these deals with God where maybe he'll give a little like, yes, yeah, like we come to a place of conviction. We either through a message we hear, a book we read or something we see in scripture or maybe something through prayer, God illuminates that he's trying to deal with us. And he's like saying, come follow me. He's saying, do you value me? Do you want to trust me? And you trust that what I have is better. And we go, yes, 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 I do. But what if we did it this way instead? And when we see these things in scripture, we come to these different places of conviction, of challenge, of inspiration. We come to these various intersections and these these crossroads. And now we have to make a decision. Are we gonna value Christ by submitting to him and trusting to him, trusting him from our heart? Or are we gonna try to do this balancing act? We're gonna try to do this tightrope thing where we're like, I still wanna hold on to that thing that was done to me that was wrong, that I want everybody to know was wrong, and I want to see that person get what's coming to them, but yes, I forgive them. And we try to do this when we see clearly what Jesus is leading us into. It's like, I'll I'll obey you, Jesus, but I have limits to my line that I'm willing to cross, and what Jesus is doing with these three instances is he's exposing these three people's lines, 
And he's saying, I see your line that you're not willing to cross. And he starts there with that because he knows that the moment that they say yes to Jesus, conflict, tension, oh no, what's gonna happen? Is it worth it? Is valuing Christ truly worth it? And so here's what it means to value Christ. What it means is that we value Christ more than any other voice that would compete or challenge with what he's leading us to do. That we say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna value and trust you more than any other voice that's competing or that's challenging or any desire to slip back into that comfort when I do feel challenged. Because when he calls us to follow him, it's gonna force change in our lives. It forces change in our lives. It forces us to change our priorities and it forces us to change what fills our hearts and our minds. Are we willing to trust him that much? Because remember this, change causes conflict or tension and then there's this unknown thing and man we don't like the tension that change creates whether it's something we chose or whether it's something that's happening to us or around us but if we keep moving forward focused on why we're changing why we've said yes to him and the fact that Jesus is more valuable than whatever it is we've been saying yes to before that he's going to lead us where we need to go even if where he leads us Man seems really questionable at the time because he's not calling us into a place necessarily always that's just super easy and comfortable because, man, that would be super easy. What if Jesus was just like, yeah, like, go do your thing, man. You do you. Go bury your father. Check back with me in a year. I'll still be around. It's fine. Or what if he would have said, yeah, finish plowing those rows and go say goodbye to your family and, yeah, finish what you're doing. I'll I'll just wait here. What do you think, 10 minutes, 15, you know, what are you thinking? End of the day, should I check back next week? No, 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 Jesus was saying, am I more valuable right now in this moment to you? Not when you have everything you want, not when everything's lined up the way you want. And when he calls us to something, it stretches us. Are we willing to say yes in the stretch? Here's our big idea for today. Obedience as a response to the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes our life's priorities to impact eternity. That's, that's a mouthful, so let's break that down. You see, obedience doesn't come from this place of just saying yes because I'm supposed to. Obedience comes from the heart. True, godly obedience comes from the heart, and it's a response. What is it a response to? It's a response to the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a response of awe and worship and submission through that worship, saying, in light of your great mercy, how could I not respond this way? It's Romans 12 and 1. How could I not respond this way? As Paul says, I'm beseeching you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you, brothers, in light of what God's mercy has done, man, how could you not present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God? This is a reasonable act of worship, a a reasonable response in light of the mercy that he's shown us, that we who once were called enemies, we who once were foreigners, strangers, aliens, we were outcasts, 
He's now brought us in and he calls us sons and daughters because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I'm accepted not by what I've done. I'm, in, I'm accepted in spite of what I've done because the cross has made a way. Jesus has made a way through his death. He took the punishment that I deserved and you deserved and that we earned because the wages of sin is death. But now he's given us this free gift and all I have to do is receive it by faith. And even the faith that I have to receive receive it is a gift from God, so I can't even boast about having an enough faith to believe. That is the gospel. That's the goodness of God that came and rescued us in our fallen and broken and helpless state. It's not Jesus helping me be a better version of me. No, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's me dying to myself and realizing I'm bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And out of that comes awe. Out of that comes wonder. Out of that comes this idea of him being enough and godliness with contentment all of a sudden becomes great gain for me because Jesus is enough. He's the rock. He's the firm foundation. He is truly more than enough. And in that moment when I realized that and I began to grow in that understanding of the gospel, the borders of my heart increase for the love of God and for the awe of God and for the worship of God. And now what am I gonna do as worship? I'm gonna respond. How am I gonna respond? Through submission. Yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, man, it, it, it sounds scary, but I trust you. What do you want me to change? What are you calling me into? What are you calling my family into? What are you calling our church into? Lord, I, I, I don't know. This seems unfamiliar. It's stretching me. But Lord, I trust you because I know how good you are. And I remind myself of the gospel. So my obedience to Christ comes from that response of the gospel. And it changes. It, it reorganizes my life's priorities. Because before I was in awe of the gospel, my life's priorities were primarily built around what I wanted. That was normal. There was nothing abnormal about me pursuing what I wanted, what I preferred, what made me comfortable. That's what people who don't know Jesus do, right? They are all about themselves, and they think that the end goal is for them to just try to be a nice, good person, and for them to get nice and happy and good and comfortable things because they're a good and nice person. And that's what the world pursues and believes. And they're looking to themselves to try to somehow make their lives easier. And, and maybe they'll bring people along with them. And maybe we'll all have some nice things we can do for one another. And we can just be nice, happy people. But the gospel is different than just being nice people. The gospel is much different because it changes the core of who I am. Now all of a sudden I'm not the focus. Now I can live with this eternal priority. And now I'm thinking about eternity and my life's priorities are beginning to be reset. And it's less and less about me and more and more about him. And he begins to reorganize and reorder those things because my value system is getting more and more in tune with him. That's part of what uh, Romans 12 talks about when Paul's writing this idea of renewing the mind. I'm changing the way I think. I'm changing and reorganizing my priorities. And now my life, my time, my resources, I'm thinking differently, man. I'm thinking about influencing and impacting eternity. That's the same concept that comes from Matthew 6.33. Jesus said this in response to his disciples wondering, what are we going to eat? My clothes are starting to wear out. They got grumbly and they're tumbly, you know. Like they're getting a little hungry. They're getting a little famished. They're wondering, oh, Jesus, when are we going to eat next? 
And they're wondering about like, oh, where are you leading us, Jesus? Because like, I mean, we're going to stop for some clothes. And like, how are we going to pay for that? Because like, I need some clothes. And you know, like, where are we going to stay? Because the ground, I'm getting really tired. I got this like thing in my back, like right here, you know, and I can't bend over all the way. And and, you know, like, either you heal me or, like, put me up in, like, you know, the Holiday Inn, you know. I don't know. Like, help me or help me go see, you know, someone, a Palmer student, you know. Like, maybe they can crack me real quick, you know, whatever. But it's this idea of, am I following Jesus for comfort? Am I following him because he's good, because I'm trusting him? And Jesus said this in Matthew six thirty three. He said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you're worried about, your comfort, your clothes, your food, all that other stuff. He's saying all that stuff will be added unto you. And there's one translation, I can't remember which one it is, but it's beautiful the way it says it. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will come as a matter of course. Like they're just going to happen because he's going to take care of you when you trust him first above all else. When you prioritize eternal things above all else. Because it's really trusting in the goodness of God ultimately, right? It's really ultimately trusting that God is good because if he's leading me somewhere and I seek first his priorities, if I seek first what he wants, then I can trust that he's going to do everything in my life that needs to be done. We've been saying a few things lately as a church that I believe are going to continually stretch us and I want to invite you to be a part of that change that's going to cause conflict maybe with what God calls you to do or calls us to do as a church, but I promise that if we keep focused on why he's calling us and what he's calling us to, that we're going to grow. One of the things we've been saying is this idea of being bigger than Sunday. And I believe that having an eternal kingdom focus, that it's greatly impacted the direction and the future of BCC. We've been saying that what God's called us to do is bigger than Sunday. And this is really the culture and the idea that we have here at BCC that I want us all to be able to grab onto that looks at what we do is bigger than just assembling on Sunday. Although assembling on Sunday is very important. It's great. And we want to keep that a priority. Hebrews talks about don't forsake assembling yourselves together. We want to continue to prioritize that. But we believe what God's called us to do is bigger than Sunday. And that really helps us to own this idea that the church is not simply somewhere that I go, but it's who I am. Like, it's who we are. We are the body of Christ. This concept of going to church would be very, very foreign to the first century church in the book of Acts. Like, if one of them would have said, hey, I'm going to church, they would have been like, hmm? What does that even mean? Because they're still existing within this idea and understanding that they are the church. Because Jesus said that on this this, this church that's going to be built, man, the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stand against it. They're built on this revelation of Jesus being the Christ as was revealed to Peter. And we see how this idea of church is this gathering of the saints, this bride of Christ, as it was explained by, uh, by, by even Paul the apostle. And we have this image and this idea of the bride of Christ being made up of these people. And we call it church, these people that have been born again, that have been made new that have trusted in Jesus. And so church is not just simply somewhere I go. Yeah, that's a part of it. Yeah, that's, that's important. And there's nothing wrong with us saying, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday. Would you like to come with me? But it's bigger than that too. Because when you're at the grocery store, you are the church, amen? When, you're going, when you go out to eat at a restaurant, 
maybe even for lunch today. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. It's not just simply somewhere you go. And the church gathers and assembles in different ways. And even the concept that we have here at BCC and the, the, the way that we assemble in groups and we have small groups and hangouts and all that, that's still the church. It's the body of Christ. We're assembling together for the purpose of worship, for glorifying God, for caring for one another and sharing one another's needs, for serving our communities, for serving one another, for caring about one another in deep ways and learning and growing in the things of God together and challenging each other and holding each other accountable. Like all of these things are what we hope to accomplish in those areas. And that's why it's so vital that we live out this idea of church being bigger than simply a Sunday morning service. Because if we just limit what God does in our lives or does in us and through us to a Sunday morning experience, then we're not going to be the type of church that is going to be very influential in getting the Quad Cities off of the list of being number 15 in the top 100 churches in the United States, uh, I mean top cities in the United States of post-Christian people. We have to take this idea beyond Sunday morning. Amen, church? We have to. We have to take our ideas and our value system. And what does that mean? That means I rearrange my priorities, man. That means all of a sudden now the priorities of my life are different because I am approaching what God has called me to do with this understanding and this concept of what God has, want, has called us to do is much bigger than a Sunday morning service. It's much bigger than a Sunday morning gathering. It's not just simply somewhere we go. It's who we are. And God is calling us to be bigger than Bettendorf as well. And we believe this because that means that we are going to reach intentionally outside of Bettendorf to be a church for these cities. Yes, we still want to reach the Bettendorf area, but we believe that God has called us to reach beyond that. And we believe that that's something that he's given us. And so a lot of times uh, that can look very, very different because there's five quad cities, right? There's five of these four cities. I love, I love, love driving through East Moline, and I can't, I don't know the street name, but there's a sign that says, like, welcome to East Moline, and you can tell there's a little bit of a chip on the shoulder, because, like, the sign says, welcome to East Moline, one of the quad cities. It just says, says, and that's how I read it. Like, I don't read it in, like, a happy way, like, oh, welcome to East Moline, one of the quad cities. I read it like this, welcome to East Moline, one of the quad cities. Like, that's how I read it, like we're one. They're like, OG, you know, <laughs> and I feel like there's some saltiness in that sign. And, uh, but I love it. And, and not just, not just the, the, the five quad cities, but also all the surrounding areas as well. Cause some of you guys live in places that are a little further out. You live in Eldridge, you live in Coal Valley, you live, you know, in other places, you know, maybe you drove quite a ways to, to get here and you live outside of the Quad Cities, but are still a part of the Quad Cities kind of metro region and the Quad Cities metro area. I believe that God has called us to be a church that is impacting and reaching simply beyond Bettendorf because I don't believe God's called us just to be isolated here in this town. I believe what God's called us to do, and the reason he's placed us here, is to be strategic about reaching out. So what does that mean for our future, ma'am? As I'm praying, and as our elders are praying, as our pastoral team is praying, you know, we're trying to discern what next steps God is leading us to. But I'll tell you this, I, I believe that part of it that I'm going to ask you to join in praying with us on um, the 30th of January, 31st, and then the 1st of February, this is part of what we're going to be praying about 
Is this for God to give us wisdom and discernment and direction? Because I believe that one of the things that God will open up for us to do in the future is going to be uh, to be a church that's planting churches. Uh, because as I look at the Quad Cities, all right, just to give you just uh, some figures here, if you're a numbers person, that in the Quad Cities metro, it's close to 400,000 people with all the surrounding smaller towns, if you encapsulate that with the population, right? And out of that, there's about 147 churches within that region. Let's just guess that out of those 147 churches, that if they could max capacity, max capacity, each one of those churches, on average, 500 people. I think that that would be fair, maybe a little bit even generous to say that. And if you take that 500 number and you multiply it by 147, you have less than 100,000 people if every church was maxed out that could even attend. So there's a problem in the Quad Cities. There's simply not enough room for people to gather. There's just not, logistically. If we say, if we really believe that we want every person in the Quad Cities to know and follow Jesus and to be a part of a Bible-believing church, there's not enough of them. There's not. There's not enough space. So somebody has to do something about this. And I believe that God will reveal how, when, where, all of those things. But we have to pray. We have to ask him to lead us and guide us. But I believe that BCC is gonna be a part of planting a part of raising up next generation leaders who are going to be sent, not just sent out to these quad cities, but beyond Bettendorf into unreached areas of the world. I want it to be abnormal for years to go by. And we haven't sent people out of this church to either go plant a church or into the mission field. I think I want people to say, man, that's weird. I haven't heard somebody uh, be prayed for to be sent out to go plant a church or go to the mission field in six months. I mean, that's weird. I wonder, you know, let's, let's pray for that. I want it to be so normal for people to be baptized every Sunday that if a Sunday goes by where someone's not being baptized, people scratch their head and go, man, oh, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't normal. We didn't have a baptism today. That's really strange. That's how much life change that I believe God wants to bring to these Quad Cities and to BCC, amen? Do you believe that? I, I believe that. I believe that God wants us to experience renewal and revival at a level where we're seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ because there's a church in these cities that sees I want to stretch beyond what's comfortable, beyond what's easy, beyond myself, and I want to be obedient to what Jesus has called me to do. And I want to see souls saved, disciples made, amen? I believe that, and I believe God's called this church to be that kind of church, because if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here, because I believe that. It has gotten into my heart, even though I've only been here short of two years, God has done a work in my heart to where I'm seeing clear vision and direction, and he's, he's given me a love for these cities, not just for Bedford, but beyond. And so what God's called us to do, I believe, is bigger than Bettendorf. But for us to do this is going to take more than just a good plan. No, it's going to take God's plan. And we want the Holy Spirit leading this thing. Amen? Because if man's leading this thing, then we get, man, get man's results. And I don't want man's results. And say, God, will you, bless, will you bless our little efforts over here, Jesus? You know? No, no, no. I want to get on board with what God's doing. 
And so let's ask, and we need to pray, and we need to discern and increase our dependence upon him. That's why we're inviting you to this reset weekend to be able to pray on the 30th, the 31st of January, and then also on Wednesday. And gather together, man, on Wednesday night, and worship and pray, and let's pray over this thing. And let's not let our prayers stop there. Let's keep praying, because we believe what God is calling us to do. Then we have to ask the question, what does that mean for me? What's that one thing that I need to step out into? What's that one thing that's stretching me and making me a little bit uncomfortable or a lot bit uncomfortable that I need to step out into for the kingdom of God? So we want God's will. We want God's timing. We want God's strategy. But what we can't do is we can't just stay here in the safety and the comfort of our Christian bubble and just keep going through the motions, amen? And I believe God's calling us to invest beyond our lifetime into the next generation So this comes to us adopting a mindset and creates a culture that normalizes investing and equipping and sending, where we become a sending church. I believe that possibly the next pastor of BCC could be in our children's ministry right now, maybe in the nursery, because I mean, I kind of want to stay here for a while, you know, (laughs) let's give them a little bit more time. (laughs) But I believe that that could very well be true. I believe that there's some young men and women who are even sitting here today, some young adults that are trying to figure out the path that God has put in front of them for their lives. They're still trying to discern that. And God's going to use them in a mighty way, and he's going to raise them up, and we're going to be able to send them out into something that's going to impact eternity. And you get to have a part of that because you get to be a part of investing in them, praying for them, supporting them, encouraging them, making room for them and making it less about us and making us be able to invest in the future and invest forward. So that way there's next generation leaders, people who are convicted with a passion to serve God, people who are raising up families who are serving God. That's why it's important for us, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. That's why it's important for us Neighbors, friends, coaches, mentors, teachers. That's why it's important for us to take the time and the resources and the energy we have and show them the value of serving Jesus and bring them with us and invite them to serve Jesus with us and let them see us seeking God and loving God in our homes and seeing the heavenly priorities being in our homes, not just in our mouths, but in the things that we do and the things that we prioritize, that we bring them alongside of those decisions. We pray with them, we model for them the things that we want passed down, not just put them in a Christian school and in a children's ministry and go, oh man, I hope for the best. Those things are good. I love those things. I support those things. My kids go to Christian school. My kids go to youth group. I love those things, but I'm not asking the school and the youth group to do it for me because I know that it has to go beyond that. That's just to come alongside and to help reinforce and reiterate those things and to create environments to help uh, temper the things in their hearts. But you and I have responsibility to invest, amen? That's why what we do, man, we're planting seeds, we're watering those seeds. It's so important, so we're investing beyond our lifetime. And it will stretch us because when you come to the moment of decision where you have to do something different, and when God is putting that one thing in front of you, whatever your one thing may be today, whatever that one thing that he may be tapping on your heart, maybe he's been tapping on your heart even before you got out of your car to walk in this building. Maybe he's been tapping on your heart before you even switched the live stream on. Maybe he's been dealing with you about this one thing, or maybe it's just something that he started dealing with you just a few minutes ago. People say, oh, Pastor, you have my house bugged. Oh, you must have like security systems, you know, like where you're watching me because you know exactly what I needed to hear. No, I don't. 
at least not for all of you. But at the same time, man, what are you going to do? Because he's asking you to change. It's going to require you change. And as soon as you change, don't be surprised when conflict comes. Because conflict will come. It's stretching you beyond what's comfortable. And what's easy to do is go, I would rather be comfortable. But then it's Jesus, just like in Luke 9 that we read. Am I worth it? Would you rather have a comfortable bed? Or, you know, I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. Come follow me. Are you really in? Are you really willing to forsake everything? Am I worth it that much to you? I felt like I needed to do something to increase my heart for these cities because I live in Bettendorf and it's just so easy for me to just kind of stay, you know, in the bubble um, because I can shop relatively close and it's just more convenient, right? It's more comfortable, it's easier. And so I felt like God was calling me to step outside of Bettendorf and do something for him. And that's really unrelated to what I do as a, as a pastor, just as a follower of Jesus, not really as my role as a pastor. And the opportunity came up where I heard about 180 at their banquet. I heard the stories about Quest for Christ and I knew that I was supposed to do that. So I reached out to Cheryl Winger, who's the director of Quest for Christ. And I said, Cheryl, I feel like God wants me to be a part of a Quest for Christ and to lead a group. And she said, okay. So at the time, my buddy Mark and I were talking and we were talking about, you know, doing some like growing together and sharpening each other. And I said, hey, Mark, why don't you come do this thing with me? He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And so Mark jumps in on this thing and then Mark and I meet with Cheryl and Cheryl said, guess what? We've got a few needs for new clubs to start. She said, one, we need a club in Hopewell, which is Hopewell Elementary, which is in Bettendorf. And the other one is at Hayes Elementary, which is in West Davenport, like 25 minutes from my house. And Hopewell, I could walk there faster than I could get in my car and drive to it. Because I kid you not, it's literally across the street from where I live. And when Cheryl said, which one would you guys feel more led by God to start. And I thought about it for just a split second. And of course, I knew the one I was supposed to do, but I'm not gonna lie, there's a little bit of a tug of war in there because it is not easy to just drive all the way over to Hayes Elementary, which is 25 minutes from my house, when I could walk across the street and still invest in the next generation and feel good about myself. That sounded really convenient. And it sounded really, I could just walk over there and do Quest for Christ, come home and, you know, eat a cheeseburger. I don't know, you know, it's just like easy peasy. I don't even have to spend gas money. I get a little exercise, you know? Like, like, what do you think about that, Lord? Like, I could get some exercise too, you know? It's like, Win-win, right, Jesus? But Mark and I both knew, like, we didn't even really take time to think about it or discuss it. We said, yeah, we feel like God's leading us to go over to Hayes. And that's just an example of the little things that I believe God will put in front of you that will stretch you. There's an opportunity there in front of you. There's something he's calling you to do that's outside of what's comfortable, that's outside of what's convenient. And man, when that choice is there, it's not always the hard thing. It's not always the more inconvenient thing. 
there's, you know, so don't glorify the, the, the hard things more than the easier things because sometimes God calls us to do easy things that are in our backyard and it just makes sense. Sometimes God is calling you just to do some easy things in your home that just make sense. But in this moment, God was calling me to step outside of what was easy and what was comfortable. But here's what we have to believe. The goal that requires change, it must be worth the tension that it creates. It must be worth it. So is the goal that the tension has been created that you're pursuing, is it worth it? Because if it's worth it, then you'll remember why you stepped into this. When it gets hard, because it will get hard. When it gets inconvenient, because it will be inconvenient. When it's not comfortable, because it will be uncomfortable. But when you remember the goal of why you stepped into this, it's out of submission and trust to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to walk with him through this thing and in this thing to serve him or to impact and invest in the next generation or to step out and preserve unity within our church or to put a guard over our hearts and our mouths and our minds and whatever it may be. Man, it creates tension when I'm confronted with that stuff. Woo! Golly, it creates tension. But is the goal worth it? Yeah. Is unity worth it? Yeah. Is investing in the next generation worth it? Yeah. Is planting churches worth it? Yeah. Oh, man. Is letting go of certain relationships, things that are fun and that are easy and that have always been a part of my rhythm, is it worth it? Yes. Is letting go of the past worth it? Yes. Is letting go of that thing that I've held dear worth it? Yes. Is it worth the tension? Is it worth the conflict? Because it's change, it's conflict, and it's growth. And I am not suggesting and teaching on change because we are bored or have run out of ideas. No, I'm teaching on change because it's necessary to impact eternity beyond our lifetime. We will not be responsible for letting a generation be raised up and not knowing and prioritizing the call to follow Jesus. We will not be responsible for Judges 2 and 10 where a generation rose up and did not know the things of the Lord. How are we going to do this? By embracing change. We are making a declaration that we are refusing to seek our comfort over our cause. We reject consumerism, Christianity, and we do not believe that the church is a country club or an activity center for Christians only. To see radical results, there must be radical change. There must be clear and convicted purpose. There must be unified mission. So what I'm asking you, church, is will you go through the conflict to follow Jesus, to make those changes, to step into the unknown, to step out of your comfort, to obey his great commission? So here's what I want to ask you. Let's bring this thing full circle. What priorities in your life are out of order with obedience and submission to Christ? What things have you been saying yes to or you've been trying to hold on to while following Jesus that he's confronting you with today, that he's bringing you to that intersection, that crossroads? And what's the one thing that you're going to do that you need to obey that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your heart today? What opportunities are in front of you right now that he's wanting you to say yes to? What's the exchange going to cost? Is it worth it? Are you willing to go through the tension? Are you willing to go through the conflict? What can you join in prayer about over the future? What are things that God's put that maybe, man, I need to pray about the future. I feel a priority to pray right now. What step 
is going to cause you to stretch that you need to take? What is he putting in front of you? Man, I can't answer that question. Whew. And what you need to do next, I can't answer that question. Oh, that's not my role. I guess my role is Holy Spirit just wants to use me to stir you up today. Make you uncomfortable. Makes me uncomfortable, man. I've been praying about what God's calling this church to do more than anything that I think I've ever prayed about in my life. I've been having more conversations around possibilities with leadership and spending more time in prayer and researching and reading, I think more than I ever have at any time in my life. Because I want us to follow God's will, God's timing, God's direction. But I know that for us to influence and impact eternity, we can't stay here. We can't do what's easy and comfortable and just keep going through the motions. That's not interesting to me. That doesn't sound like it's influencing and impacting eternity, just making people comfortable. Oh, but we like comfort so much. But do we want to grow? Do we really want to see eternity impacted? Do we really want to live with our lives with a greater purpose that's going to be impacting generations beyond our lifetime? I believe you do. I believe that the way that this church has stepped up and answered that call, I, I, I believe you do. I believe the way that you've shown up in several areas that I've been able to be blessed to be a part of, I believe you do. I believe looking back on this church's history and seeing how God has used this church through the past 60 years, I believe you do. Because God is not done with BCC and he is not done with you, amen? But we need the spirit of God working in us and through us and we need to prioritize what he wants us to to value the things of God and to obey. So Lord, help us do this. We humble our hearts before you today. We submit before you. God, we don't want to necessarily just take the easy path, the seemingly easy path. Lord, we want to truly say with conviction that we value you more than we value our comfort. That we value impacting eternity more than we value just being preservationists and of our comfort. Lord, help us to see the priority of heaven. Help us to see what you value and live our lives, not just on Sunday, but bigger than Sunday. Beyond our lifetime, Lord. Lord, help us to see and to answer the call and to say yes continually over and over again. No matter the cost of my comfort, no matter the cost of my preference, no matter the cost of what has always been easy, because you're worth it, Lord. May all this be for your glory. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.